Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. We're going to be talking about family and children today. But this is not going to be a Bible study now on how to rear children or how to discipline children. This is simply going to be a Bible study to teach us how to spiritually take care of just one area in the life of our children and in the life of our extended family. And this area that we're going to be talking about is the area of their safety. Now, one of the biggest fears that seems to harass parents is the fear that something's going to happen to their children or to their grandchildren, spiritually as well as physically. And that's because our children and our families are some of our most prized possessions. And that's why Satan really gets his quarter's worth when he punches us with just these subtle thoughts that come into our mind that maybe something's going to happen to somebody that we love. They see pictures of missing children on the milk cartons and they see it on the billboards and they hear these horror stories on the news and even horror stories that come through well-meaning people who seem to want to pass on all these things that they hear. And then we have to realize that Christian parents have an added fear that parents in the world don't have. See, Christian parents also have fear thoughts come to them that maybe their children or their grandchildren will get sifted or won't go on with God. Well, I've got good news for you today. The answer to this need, the answer to this fear is covered in God's Word completely covered. God has an answer for every need, every fear that would try to come to us. And God's Word works. It's going to work whether our children are away from home or whether they're still living at home. Of course, it's better if we start doing these things while they're at home. The best way to start is when the child's still in the womb and to be able to pray and start that child off in the way he should go from the very moment that he's born. Now, also, as we go along, I want you to apply these principles to your extended family, as well as your children and grandchildren. Now, our children have been entrusted to us by God, not just solely for our enjoyment. Now, God wants us to enjoy our children. He wants us to enjoy our grandchildren. But these children and our families have been entrusted to us by God, and their spiritual destiny is our choice. I want you to really take me seriously today. Every parent makes a choice, whether they know it or not, concerning their child's well-being, concerning their child's future. Now, many times a parent is making a negative choice by default simply because that parent doesn't do anything. And you know, that's sad. A lot of times parents just, they don't make a choice at all and, and they think they're doing okay when they don't realize that's a negative choice by default. Now, most parents who make negative choices are people who really don't know that they have the right to make the choice for their children, or else they just become complacent and they, they put it off. They think, I'll do it later. And that's why Hosea 4.6 tells us that there's two reasons why we're destroyed, from lack of knowledge and then from rejection of that knowledge. Now, I'm not saying that a child can't overturn the negative decisions that parents make by choosing the right path for themselves later on. But God has made it so it would be so easy if the parent would just realize that he or she has been given that privilege 
to go ahead and make those choices for that child. And then that way when the child is grown, like the Word says, if we train up a child in the way they should go, then when they're old, they're not going to depart from it. They're already going to be on the right pathway. And that's God's way. That's how He intended it to be. Now I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. We're going to be using a lot of Scripture today. Deuteronomy 30 Verse 19, this is the first time in the Word when God makes it unquestionably clear that He has placed the choice for the child's destiny in the hands of the parents and grandparents. And so Deuteronomy 30, 19, God says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. I set before you the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live and notice, you need to circle the next part. You and your descendants. Okay, he said, I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. He said, you choose life in order that you might live, you and your descendants. Now, man had already fallen. He already had death. He already had the curse. But God, in his mercy then, provided man with a choice. He decided to give us an alternative. In place of the curse, in place of death, God then says, now I've made it available so that you can choose life and blessing. And the choice of life and blessing, when it became available and when man chose that life and that blessing, he not only was blessed himself, but it went right on down through his descendants. Now the very first question that comes in our mind when we think about this, we just think, okay, Lord, how? I realize you've given me a choice. How do I relegate that choice? How do I bring it into a, a reality in my life in the here and now? When you read this, you realize that God is actually almost pleading with us. He's saying, so choose life. If you'll look at the last part of verse 19, he's saying, so choose life. He's telling us what to choose, and it's almost as though he's pleading with us to choose life that we can have blessing and pass it down. Now, I want you to notice who witnesses the choice that we make. God says, I call heaven and earth to witness. Now, it's not just God that's witnessing the choice we make. He knows ahead of time what choice we're going to make. But first of all, he says, I call heaven to witness. All of the host of heaven witnesses the choice we make. Now, I want you to write down this reference, Hebrews 1, verse 14. That says that the angels are ministering spirits that are sent out to render service or to render help to those who are going to inherit salvation. Now, think about that. The angels are sent out to render service to those that are going to inherit salvation. So the moment that we make the choice of life and blessing, those good angels, they witness the choice that we make, and immediately then they began rendering service not only to us, but also they began rendering service to our children and to our children's children and to our descendants. Now that's such a blessing. God is so good. And then not only does heaven witness the choice that we make, but I want you to notice that earth witnesses that choice. Not only the people around us, but also Satan and his demons are witnessing that choice. They're confined to the atmosphere around the earth. And they witness it. And any time that we fail to make the right choice, or any time we don't make a choice at all, we make a negative choice by default, then those demons know. They witness the choice that we make. And our negative choices then give them an open door. 
And that's why the Word of God says, from lack of knowledge, you know, my people are destroyed. Now, once our mind is renewed to the fact that we're to make the choice, that we have that privilege, then you start looking through the Word of God and you find that that truth is reiterated all the way through the Word of God, that we can choose not only for ourselves, but for our children. Okay, now what does the world have to say about our children? Have you noticed that the world is always saying, oh, you never know what these kids are going to do. They're going to disappoint you. This generation is different than it was when we were growing up. You just never can tell what our kids are going to do. Only God knows how they're going to turn out. Well, we've bought that garbage. Even Christians will hear that and they'll get into fear and, and they'll think, oh my goodness, I don't know what my child's going to do. I don't know how they're going to turn out. Well, I want you to think about the Word of God. The Word of God never says that we can never know how our children are going to turn out. The Word of God never says that they're going to disappoint us. When you look through the Word of God, the Word says that we hold in our hand the destiny of our children. And it is indeed up to us. Now, when we start reading that, it just boggles our mind. And it can put fear on us unless we go ahead and realize that God's not going to give us the choice without giving us the ability and the power to walk it out. And it's certainly not God that we live in anxiety waiting to see how our children are going to turn out. You know, it's not in the Word that we can't know these things. Therefore, it's time for us to renew our mind and see what God's will is, what the Word of God has to say. Find something in the Word of God, then it's yours. You can have it if you want to release faith for it. It's already been provided. Now, we're going to look at some testimonies in the Word of God concerning the well-being of, of children and grandchildren and family. Then we're going to look at some Scripture promises. You'll need to mark down all these references. And then we're going to talk about how to appropriate this truth and bring it right where we're living. Okay, I want you to look at Genesis 7, verse 1. Genesis 7, verse 1. Now, none of these stories are unfamiliar. You've read them all. But I want us to read them this time with this truth in mind. Now, I also wanted you to see that this principle is not in just one or two isolated cases. All of these people made right choices, and it literally became an inheritance. It became a safety for their children and their descendants. And we're not just talking about spiritual safety now. We're talking about physical safety as well. And so in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all of your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Okay, now there's no indication that these sons were right with God at this time. Noah alone had been found faithful, had been found righteous. And we're not talking about small children that were still at home. These were grown married men. And yet, Noah had the promise, and because he was faithful, then his whole household was spared. They were not destroyed in the flood. Now, this is a type and shadow showing us that our choice of righteous living, our choice to go on with God and put Him first and let Him be the most important thing in our life, that brings our children into an ark of safety, spiritually as well as physically. Okay, now I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 2. I wanted to use this example because this is an example of someone who probably didn't even have children, but she stood in the gap for her extended family. There are some of you that 
are going to need to put this principle into practice for your family, for brothers, for sisters, for nieces and nephews. And so in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Chittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Look at verse 10. Rahab is talking to the spies, and she said, We've heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And we've heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. We heard what you did beyond the Jordan. And then in verse 11, she said, When we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage that remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. So she's declaring that the Lord God Jehovah is the true God. He's the Lord in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore please swear to me by the Lord since I have dealt kindly with you that you will also deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And then down in verse 18, we find that the spies said, when we come into the land, if you will tie a cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself into the house, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household, it should come about then that they'll be protected. Okay, now this scarlet thread is a type and shadow of the blood of Jesus. Now there's another type and shadow in the Old Testament. The children of Israel put the blood of goats around the doorposts. And she put the scarlet thread. Now, that's a type and shadow. So we have the real thing. We have the blood of Jesus. Now, the way we appropriate the blood of Jesus is mouth and heart. They applied this in the physical. They applied the blood with their hands. She put the scarlet thread with her hands. But we apply the blood of Jesus by saying it with our mouth and believing it in our heart. We confess that we have a blood covering of Jesus over us and over our family. And then we confess that where the blood is, the destroyer cannot come in. If they had that protection under the old covenant, how much more we have it under the new covenant? Now Rahab had asked for the protection of her extended family, and she named them out. She named every one of them. This is our precedence in Scripture. And as she submitted herself to the one true God, it then became her privilege to stand in the gap for her whole family. And she had that covering. Okay, how much more do we have under our new and better covenant? Now, I know that a lot of you are already doing that, but if you're not, then you need to study these examples and you begin to pray until it becomes a reality on the inside of you. Every day, Jack and I try to pray the Psalm 91, over every member of our family, over each of our children, we name our children, our grandchildren, then we name our extended family, my sister and every member of her household, my brother and every member of his household, and then our church family. And we start naming people that God will bring to our remembrance. And then God just showed me to get a mental picture. It was like a large tent that just covered with the blood of Jesus. And we're calling them in, calling them in under that protection under that ark of safety, under the blood of Jesus. And once you began calling men, then began to just thank God. I can't tell you what it'll do to your faith when you began to spiritually see your family coming in under that covenant, under that protection. And every time you do it, then it's going to build your faith. 
Every day, your faith will be a little bit stronger. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing. And sometimes it's hearing our own confession of the Word over and over and over. Then, if you see something happening to some member of your family that tends to contradict the Word and it, it looks like it's not working, you know, don't get discouraged and say, oh, didn't work, I'm going to throw in the towel. That's when we need to stand stronger than ever and say, no, Lord, I have a blood covenant. I have a covering. I'm not going to receive this from the enemy. I thank you that your protection is there and it does work. Now, sometimes it'll take a little bit of standing, especially for those that are not directly under your authority. But Rahab was given that right. It's a type and shadow and we have the same right. Now, I'm going to give you several scriptures. We won't have time to look them all up. But later you can look up Luke 19, 1 through 9 in the Amplified. And that's the story of Zacchaeus. If you'll remember how Zacchaeus climbed in the tree to see Jesus pass by. And instead of passing by, Jesus stopped and he said, I'm going to your home today. Well, of course, he was criticized because this was a sinful man. But Jesus knew that Zacchaeus' heart was right to receive him. And so not only did Zacchaeus receive the Lord, but he made restitution for the things that he had stolen. And what I want you to look up is the fact that in the Amplified, Jesus said, this day, today, salvation has come not only to you, Zacchaeus, but it's come to your entire household. And in Acts 16, verse 31, you can look that up later, but if you'll remember that Paul and Silas were in prison and they were praising God and just singing all kinds of praises, and all of a sudden an earthquake came and, and shook the bonds loose. And of course, the jailer thought that they were going to escape, so he was getting ready to kill himself when Paul and Silas stopped him. And the first question that the jailer asked was, what must I do to be saved? He was asking for himself. And yet, when they answered him, they said, if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your entire household will be saved. Acts 11, verse 2, Cornelius sent for Peter to come and bring the gospel. And it said that it became salvation for him and his entire household. Now, if we didn't have the scripture over there in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, we might think that some extra words had just been added to the text. But God said, choose life and choose blessing. And he said, it will be life and blessing for you and for your descendants. And over there in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, if you keep reading in verse 20, it says you choose life by holding fast to him, okay, he's the word, by obeying his voice, by loving the Lord with your whole heart. And so as we do that, that literally builds an inheritance. And we go through the word and we find one confirmation after another that shows when a person sold out to God, it became that inheritance for their children. Now, this doesn't mean that salvation is not an individual decision. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that your choice to go on with God and to claim the promises that are yours, that sets up a situation in the spiritual realm that puts your descendants literally in a position to be drawn in by the power of the Holy Spirit until the time comes when they submit willfully and joyfully to God for that protection. See, our choice of life and our decision, our faith to stand on the promises and hang on to them, then that's what literally holds our children and our grandchildren in that place of decision. 
And that keeps the enemy off of them. It's like it puts a covering over them so that they're open to the Lord. But they will ultimately be the one to make that choice. Okay, now let's look at some scripture promises. They're in Proverbs 22, verse 6. We quoted that a while ago. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, I've heard so many people say, well, I've seen cases where this scripture didn't work. Well, we've all probably been in a place where we've seen scriptures that didn't seem to be working in a person's life. And if we're not careful, that'll begin to put doubt and fears in our heart. And that's why the Lord spoke to me and he said, there are no what ifs and there are no others in Christ. In other words, we can't look at another person's life because we don't know all the circumstances. But I can remember the first time that I saw Psalm 91, I just, I thought, I can't believe this. There's no way that I can reach out to believe that every known evil that's come on this earth, that we can be protected from that. And I said, Lord, it would be like going against the entire world. And I can remember that the Lord very clearly took me to Romans 3, verse 3. You can look it up later. But the Lord said, if some do not believe, is that going to nullify my promises? Is that going to nullify my faithfulness? He said, may it never be. He said, I'm going to be found true and I'm going to be found faithful, though every man be found a liar. But he goes on to say, but you'll be justified by your words. So he's saying it doesn't matter if people don't believe it. It doesn't matter if you look around and circumstances come up in another person's life and maybe we don't know everything that's going on. But if it doesn't work in their life and we let those fears and doubts come in, it'll take our faith away. But God said, my word works. And he said, you'll be justified by your words if you stand on my word and you make it your faith. You let your faith go out to that. So we've got to come to a place where we make a decision that we're not going to negate the promises of God. We're not going to doubt the Word of God. Now, even if you're the only person you know of who's believing in a certain promise in the Word, refuse to let doubts, refuse to let fears come in. If it's God's Word, then it's true. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 28, verse 41. Deuteronomy 28, verse 41. Now, this is one of my favorite scriptures to quote over my children. Now, I know it's listed in the curses, but we've got to remember in Galatians 3.13 that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law through what Jesus did on the cross. So in Deuteronomy 28, verse 41, it says, You'll have sons and daughters, but they'll not be yours, for they'll go into captivity. Okay, now what is the captivity of the enemy? It's rebellion, it's alcoholism, it's drugs, it's illicit sex, it's wrong dates, wrong marriages. Okay, when we realize that Galatians 3.13, Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, then every curse listed here can be reversed. So begin to confess these curses and turn them around. Reverse them. And every day, quote over your children, I will have sons and daughters, and they will be mine, for they will not go into the captivity of the enemy. They're not going to go into rebellion. They're not going to go into alcoholism. They're not going to go into these things of the world. See, every curse can be reversed. 
Quote that Psalm 91. We talked about that. But this is one scripture that you need to quote every single day for the physical protection of your family. In Psalm 91 verse 1, it says, If we dwell in the shelter of the Most High and abide under His shadow, if we come to Him and we say, Lord, You're my God, You're my source, You're the one in whom I trust, I don't have my trust in anything else, You're my God, You're the one in whom I trust. Then He lists every known evil to man. They fall under one of those four categories. God says you don't have to be afraid of the terror by night or the arrows that fly by day. You don't have to be afraid of any of the pestilence or the sickness or the disease or the destruction that's coming on the earth. And he said, you're going to look around and you're going to see thousands falling at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. That's what I talked about when I was talking about looking around and you'll see it when it appears not to be working in somebody's life. And he said, you'll see thousands fall. But he said, if you'll dwell in my shelter and if you'll make me your source, then he said, it will not approach you for any reason. And then down in verse 10, and he said, and it will not come near your household. Verse 11 says that even his angels will come and render service. They'll bear you up in their hands. So it's worth whatever it takes to get rid of the fear and choose to believe and confess out loud these promises that God has given us for our family because faith comes by hearing. Now, you probably won't suddenly overnight just get rid of all the fears. You probably won't just totally believe with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength every promise in this book. It usually is something that you gradually come into as you confess it, as you confess it every day. The more time that we spend with the Lord, the more time that we spend in the Word and confess this Word and choose to believe it, then all of a sudden it just starts looming up on the inside of us. And as we confess scriptures like Psalm 112 verse 7, I'm not going to fear evil tidings because my heart is steadfast trusting in you, Lord. We may not believe that the first time we say it, but as we say it every day, finally the time comes... We're saying it and we're meaning it from the depths of our heart. I'm not going to fear bad news. I'm not going to be afraid the telephone's going to ring and I'm going to hear bad news because, Lord, my heart is steadfast trusting in you. There's going to be plenty of opportunities to hear bad news, but God says, well, whose report are you going to believe? I'm going to read Isaiah 49:25 out of the Amplified. The Word of God is just filled with scriptures promising us the protection, the safety for our family. And in Isaiah 49, 25, it says, For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will give safety for your children and ease for them. I will give safety. I'll contend with those who fight against you. And he said, I'm going to bring your children through in safety. Turn on over in Isaiah 54. That entire chapter 54 of Isaiah is just filled with promises from God. In fact, down in the last verse, verse 17, about the midway of that verse, it says, all of these things are the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. But the verse 13 is the one I want you to see today. Because it says, all of your children will be disciples, taught of the Lord, obedient to His will, and great shall be the peace and the undisturbed composure of your children. 
That is shouting ground. For every parent, for every grandparent, we should grab that and just shout every single day. Lord, I thank you that my children are disciples. They're being discipled by you. You're teaching them. If God's teaching them, they're going to go in the right way. And they're obedient to your will, and great is going to be their peace and their undisturbed composure. Now, here's a warning. It's real easy to move out of the area of worrying and fear and hand-wringing, and all of a sudden we see these promises, and so we start moving out of the fear. And it's easy to go over to the other extreme and start striving and get into the arm of flesh, where we think, oh, I've got to touch every base and do it all just right. If I don't quote every scripture just exactly like I need to, something bad's going to happen. Well, that can be almost as destructive as the fearful state. God's not wanting us to move over into this striving because faith is a rest. Faith is a peace. He wants us to come into the place where we're just worshiping Him, where we're just thanking Him that it's there, not where we're trying to make it happen. Now, all of us have seen areas in our life where we think it's too late. Too much water's gone under the bridge. Too much damage has already been done. Well, when we start thinking that way, we need to stop right then and go back and say, Lord, I want you to renew my mind to the fact that it's never too late with you. Our children are never too old to start believing for them to come on in. Abraham was making uh, decisions for Isaac when he was 40 years old. And Joel 2 verse 25 tells us that he'll return the years that the canker worm has eaten. And he'll do that. Hebrews 9.22 in the Amplified tells us that because of the blood of Jesus that was shed, that not only will the sin be removed, maybe we have done it wrong, but when we repent and come back to God, He said, I'll remove the sin, I'll remove the guilt, and I'll remove the consequences. There's going to be times when you may see your child doing something and it doesn't line up with the Word of God. And you may need to use John 20, 23 and forgive those sins. The Bible says the sins that are forgiven in the name of Jesus will be forgiven. I want you to look up Job 22, verse 23. Job 22, 23. He said, if you return to the Almighty, in other words, sometimes people have strayed, but God says, if you'll return to the Almighty, you'll be restored. If you remove unrighteousness far from your tent. And then look down in verse 28. Then you shall decree a thing, and it will be established for you. He's wanting us to decree the fact that our children are going to go with God. They're going to be protected. They're going to live the life that God's called them to live. In verse 30, it said, He will deliver the one who is not innocent, and he will be delivered through the cleanliness of your hands. The Bible tells us that be it to you according to your faith. Mark 11, 22 and 23 said, Whatever you pray and ask, believe you've already received it. There's times that it's not going to look like it's working, but you pray, you believe, and you believe you've already received it, and then it'll be granted. We need to get a mental image. Pray that God will just give you a picture of this thing coming to pass. I can remember that I was praying for this person and I just prayed and prayed and all of a sudden I just had this faith picture in my mind. I saw them with their hands uplifted and it was a side view. Well, it was several years later. They had come to the Lord. They were in the service and I looked and there they were with their hands uplifted and it was exactly the picture that God had shown me. So it wasn't that God was just giving me a faith picture. He was showing me a preview of something that was going to happen down the line. 
And so pray and ask God to give you a preview of what's going to be happening, and that'll keep your faith strong. Rid yourself of any subtle doubts from the enemy that would try to tear down your faith. One that I hear all the time from people, from different people, they'll say, well, I don't think it's right for me to make this choice for my child. It's their decision. I'm going to wait and I'm going to allow them to make that decision. Well, that's the enemy's tactic. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to tear down faith in us to keep us from walking in that God-given right and responsibility that God's given to us as Christian parents. And we'll be held accountable. It is our responsibility. And when a person feels that way, then they're choosing negatively by default, thinking that they're supposed to wait and let the child make that decision. That doesn't line up with the Word of God. Next to Psalm 91, the one scripture that we have all over our house, in fact, it's on the front door, is Joshua's statement in the book of Joshua where he said, as for me and my house, we will serve and worship the Lord. You know, he didn't say, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to hope that my children decide to go that way. He didn't say that. He didn't say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve and worship God if my children just don't get sifted, you know, by the enemy. No. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He made that choice for his entire family. So we need to settle it in our thinking. Because if we don't get that settled in our mind, then we're never going to be able to appropriate faith. Okay, I want us to talk for just a few moments about appropriating this truth. I want you to look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. 2 Timothy 1 12. This is a scripture you need to mark down. Now, I'm going to be reading this out of the New American Standard. Most of you memorized it when you were growing up. I memorized it out of the King James. Now, the New American said, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. This is the part I want you to see. For I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Now, I like that out of the New American, but I really like it out of the King James. For I know the one in whom I've believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Okay, think about that. I know the one in whom I believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Now this scripture gives us three very important steps for appropriating this truth for our family's safety. I want you to notice that step number one is I know the one in whom I've believed. You need to circle that word know. I know the one in whom I've believed. Now this is referring to a personal relationship that we have to have with the Lord. We have to have intimate knowledge of the one in whom we've believed. There's a lot of people who believe, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they've never developed that closeness. They've never gotten to know Him intimately. Now, if we want to keep our family safe, we're going to have to know intimately the safe keeper. Now, there has to be a solid relationship before we have anything to pass on as an inheritance for our children. Okay, then the number two step in this verse as we come to know him intimately, then we become persuaded that he's able. Okay, what's it talking about? Able to do what? Okay, it's talking about able to do what he promises that he's going to do. That means that we have to know what the promises are before we're going to be persuaded that he's able. 
but we're persuaded that he's able to keep every promise that we've promised that he's made. Then you can commit those children and those loved ones to him. Because then the most natural thing in the world is to commit your family over to him. Okay, how do you make that commitment? And what takes place in the spiritual realm after you've committed someone to God? Okay, let me give you a type and shadow from the Old Testament. Exodus 29, 37. And even if you don't look it up, I want you to mark this scripture reference down. Exodus 29, 37. You'll absolutely never be the same when you actually hear what this is saying and appropriate it to your family. So 29, verse 37 it said, for seven days you make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and then the altar shall be most holy. Okay, the altar is holy now because the blood of Jesus has been placed on it. So the altar is holy. And then it says, whatever touches the altar shall be holy. Circle that. I want you to think about it. When you present something on the altar, you're giving it to God. It becomes the property of God. Okay, apply this to your children and your grandchildren. When you come to know God intimately, where you know that you can trust Him, where you're persuaded that He's able to do what He's promised to do, then you're going to know that He's going to keep and take care of that which you commit to Him. So therefore, when you symbolically and spiritually lay that child on the altar of God, it says whatever touches the altar is made holy. Automatically, when you entrust that child, that grandchild to God, then automatically that child is set apart unto God. Do you realize what that's telling us here? That when you commit that child to God, he's automatically set apart to God. The moment we turn them loose to God, they become God's property, his responsibility, and they become most holy unto him. Now, the Bible doesn't teach infant baptism. They get baptized after they make the decision for themselves, the decision that the parent has spiritually made from the time that they were born. But infant dedication is scriptural. And that's what sets this whole thing into motion. See, if the parents are aware of what they're doing, if it's not just a ritual when they dedicate that baby, then that infant dedication is a time where before God and before witnesses, we take that child and we symbolically give that child to God. And it's a picture to the world. It's witnessed in heaven. It's witnessed on earth. And it literally is a picture of what we've done in the spiritual realm. In Luke 2, verse 22, God had Mary and Joseph dedicate Jesus when he was eight days old. Now, if the child is older and you fail to commit him to the Lord when he was born, it's never too late. Go ahead and do it spiritually. And you say, well, once I give my children then to God, does that relieve me of my responsibility? Can I turn it loose and let it be God's responsibility? Well, no, it just simply means that we've given that child to God and we've given him the permission then to take charge. And now, just like he told Mary and Joseph what to do for Jesus' protection, now we can trust that God's going to tell us exactly what to do every step of the way. No longer then is it our responsibility to have to worry and fret and reason to find out what to do. The Spirit will lead us step by step because that's God's child. We've committed that child to God. And it'll take all the pressure off because we're not going to be having to decide what our children need to 
cause these promises to come to pass. All we have to do is be open and be receptive and be a vessel for God to flow through. Now, if you have children that are already outside the home, then there's still going to be points of obedience. But if they're outside the home, then probably the points of obedience will be different than the point of obedience if you have them still living in the house. But if they're not under your roof, God may be telling you sometime to get up and do spiritual warfare for them. He may tell you to get up and read your covenant over them, or he may tell you to pray for laborers to come in their pathway, or maybe he'll just tell you to pray for their forgiveness. You know, maybe they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, and God will say, get up and pray their forgiveness, according to John 20, 23. So mostly what you'll be doing for children that are outside the home will be done spiritually. But if the children are still in the home, then there's going to be points of obedience in the physical realm on your part. And you may make mistakes at times, but that's okay. If our heart's tender and receptive, then God will take those mistakes and he'll even turn those around and use them for good. Now, he may lead you differently with each child. There may be different points of obedience for different children. But there are four points of obedience that are always going to be required. And I'm just going to name them. Number one, we have to live for God consistently. That's going to be one point of obedience. There can't be any hypocrisy. We're going to have to live Monday through Saturday exactly like we try to live on Sunday. Now, we don't have to preach to them. We just have to live the life consistently. And Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 says it all. That's just saying that Christianity needs to be a lifestyle where we talk about the Lord when we're walking along the way, where we talk about the Lord when we're sitting around the table, when we lie down at night. And that's exactly, he's talking about making Christianity a lifestyle. Number two, we have to live in an attitude of gratitude toward God in front of our children for all the things that he's done. See, the Bible says that in everything, we're to give thanks. And that's why grumbling and nagging and all those kinds of things are negative And those are not pleasing to God. And those keep the promises. They stifle the promises. But when our children see us full of gratitude and appreciation, then it becomes ingrained in their lifestyle that God is a good God. That's what God's wanting us to entrust to them. I've always appreciated the fact that Jack's always been grateful. He's always spoken gratitude to me about things that I've done. He's constantly speaking gratitude about how much he appreciates what God does. And he's always telling me things that you do that he appreciates. And that's what God's wanting. I used to think, oh, I can never be that grateful. But that's what God's wanting us to do. He's wanting us to come to a place where we have that gratitude flowing through us all the time because that's a tool to teach God's goodness to the children. Okay, number three, don't be afraid to discipline and enforce consistent guidelines. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen and Proverbs 29, 15 tells us that physical discipline is what drives out rebellion. Now, later you can look up 1 Samuel three thirteen, but that tells us how important it is to God because God was speaking about Eli the priest, and he said, you didn't discipline your children, and you knew there was a problem. And because of that, that's brought a curse. Now, the biggest favor that you can do for your children is to rid them of bad attitudes. That's one of the main goals of discipline, to lift the oppression, to lift the selfishness off their mind and off their emotions and their attitudes until they come to a place of learning how to discipline themselves. 
And then number four, don't be afraid to show lots and lots of genuine love to your children. Lovingly listen to them. Give them undivided attention. Lovingly touch them. Let the home be a place of safety and support. Now, one of the best ways to dedicate your children to the Lord, no matter how old they are, and to claim the scriptural promises is to write a covenant. Now, God doesn't need that covenant. You know, he knows what his promises are. But there's nothing that will release faith in you more than writing out those scripture promises and then every day reading that covenant out loud over your children. See, we have to learn to appropriate the promises, and that's one of the best ways to appropriate it. King David and King Saul both had a covenant. They were both covenant men. They had the same promises. They had the same covenant. But David knew how to appropriate it to make it a reality in his life, and Saul didn't. So we need to know what it means to be a covenant person. It's not that you're putting anything new into effect. It's just simply promises that God's made available from before the foundation of the world. And all we're doing, we're entering in as a second party to agree and allow God to do that which he wants to do. So, like I said, it's not for God's benefit, it's for our benefit. Now, this is not a pipe dream for you to expect God to keep your children safe. That's not just some pie-in-the-sky dream. This is a part of your inheritance as an heir of God. And it's as simple as finding out what God's Word provides, and then determining that you're going to take that promise and you're going to appropriate it. Now, if you'll do what we've lined out in this Bible study, if you'll take these scriptures, God will be faithful to do what He's promised. Now, I'm going to end by reading a covenant that we wrote and read over our children all the years they were growing up. And I'm simply doing this. You can write any covenant and use any scriptures. I'm going to do it just simply to let you know what I mean by covenant, if you happen not to know. But Father, in the name of Jesus, we agree according to Matthew 18, 19, that our children, and we name them, are committed to you, and we're confident that you will guard and keep that which has been committed unto you, and that you'll set them apart and make them holy. 2 Timothy 1:12. We ask you to train them in the way that they should go, and that they'll learn to love and cherish your word. Thank you that they're not of this world, according to John 17. Thank you for friends and dates provided by you and for good, clean entertainment that's fun. Thank you for making them the head, not the tail, above only and not beneath, according to Deuteronomy 28:13. Thank you that they're redeemed from the curse of the law, from the captivity, the rebellion, and the disobedience of the enemy. Thank you that they're your disciples, obedient children with a teachable spirit, open only to your truth, and their desire is to earnestly please you according to Isaiah 54, 13. Thank you that they love you with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they love their fellow man as they love themselves. Thank you that they're coming to know Jesus better every day, and they're becoming more and more in his image. The fruit of the Spirit is being formed in them. They're full of love. They have indescribable joy, peace that passeth human understanding. They're kind and good and considerate and gentle. They're patient, faithful, and self-disciplined. You've not given them a spirit of fear, but you've given them one of power, love, and a sound mind, according to 2 Timothy 1.7. They learn easily and well and make good grades in school. They're truthful and kind. Therefore, they have favor with their teachers, their peers, and everyone with whom they come in contact, according to Proverbs 3, 3, and 4. Your word is a light unto their path, and they receive gladly your counsel. Jesus, the word, the truth, is freeing them continually every day. 
The enemy has no part in their life. He's a defeated foe as far as they're concerned. Thank you that you are protecting them from all temptations, according to Matthew 6, 13. They know the word, they choose to walk in it. They enjoy divine protection and divine health, according to Psalm 91. No evil will befall them, nor will any plague or calamity come near them. They're not going to fear the cancer and the diseases and the destruction and the terror. They are reflections of your love and mercy. There are no walls or communication barriers, and they're totally uninhibited and free to worship you freely. We thank you that you are providing and preparing mates for our children. Our son and our son-in-law will love you with all their heart, and each will love his wife as he loves his own flesh. They will be the priest and head of their home. They will be perfect husbands and fathers and teach their children the word. They will neither be lazy nor full of drive. Thank you for providing good jobs that they can enjoy, and thank you for placing a desire within them to be with their family. Thank you that our daughter and daughter-in-law will each be submissive and will love and reverence her husband. They will be perfect wives and mothers. They will be good homemakers. They will have a calm, quiet spirit. All of our children will recognize the call on their life and be obedient. They will be word and spirit-filled, thoughtful, sensitive, and considerate of others. They will have good communication with their mate. They will have saved themselves for their mate and will have no unclean habit. The men will be a good covering for their family listening to your voice. The girls will be good prayer warriors and, and good helpmates. Together, all four of them will love you and serve you together. You will be their total source. They will be cheerful, generous givers. They will have a beautiful, fulfilling love life with their mate. They will walk in your prosperity and in your total deliverance. And Jesus will reign in their home as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, you don't have to write anything that long. I've always pretty wordy. But anyway, that's just the idea that I wanted to give you because it's so important to take the promises that you want and put them down where every day you can touch them and see them and read them. And as you say it with your mouth and believe it with your heart, God brings it to pass. Father, thank you. Thank you that we do not have to fear what we see coming on this earth. Thank you that we do not have to be conformed to the world's way of thinking and listen to the world when the world says we don't know what's going to happen to the children. They're not like they used to be. You can't ever tell what they're going to do. Father, I thank you that we don't have to fear that, that we can stand and say, no, I can know what my children are going to do because as for me and my house, we will serve and we will worship you. Lord, I thank you that as we make the right choices, that it does become life and blessing, not only for us, but for our children. My Father, I thank you for every single person in the sound of my voice. Lord, that as they hear this, something will come alive on the inside that they will begin to appropriate the promises for their children, for their families, their extended families. And Father, I thank you that we are going to win our world for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.